going to get back into our Ephesians series that we've been in. You ever watched a movie? You get going into the movie, and you're like, man, I'm cutting this thing off. This is terrible. There is no hope. I don't want to watch this anymore. And you almost begin to quit on the movie. Anybody ever experienced that? You're going to experience that this morning in the message this morning. You're going to want to quit about 15 minutes from now. Okay? <laughs> Our text today is a little bit like that. It, 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 it hurts on the front end, and it's difficult to power through and to keep hearing what we're going to hear, and what we're going to hear is we're going to talk about sin. It starts to really leave you hopeless. But hang in. Because the hero arrives on the scene. Just like when you're watching that movie and you're like, I'm ready to cut this thing off. There just seems no end to this. And then something happens that pulls you in and keeps you to the end. And then the hero shows up and the movie ends well. Well, Ephesians chapter 2 is a little bit like that. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 is our text today. So just hang in for the first 15 or 20 minutes, okay? Hang in, because the hero is on the way, amen? Let's let's read the text, and then we're going to go back through it. We're going to walk back through it together, okay? uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Before I read, uh, I want to note, one of my very good friends gave me a large print Bible uh, this week for my birthday, And um, so I'll actually be able to not have to hold it like this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would give clarity to your word today, that your hearers would understand both the depravity of man and the mercifulness and the love of our Father. And we just ask that you would be glorified in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this is sort of the crux of the Christian faith, right? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The distinction of Christianity is that man is dead and God had to make them alive. That's a distinction apart from, from religions of the world. But apart from God, man is dead. Let's look at verse 1. And you were dead, he says, Paul says. He's writing to those that now believe, but that were once unbelievers. So his audience is predominantly believers. And he's reminding them that you used to do these things. You used to walk in these ways. You used to be dead. You're alive now, but you used to be dead. It's sort of a reminder to them. It's an opening statement. Physically alive, yes, but spiritually, you were dead. Spiritually and eternally dead. So not only was it true uh, to the ones whom he's writing, but then he adds on, if you'll notice at the end of verse 3, he adds on a little bit extra, and he says even, even the rest. If you look at verse 3 with me, you'll see, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And then he says, like the rest of mankind. He says, you once were dead, now you're alive, but there's still dead people out there. There's still the walking dead, so to speak, out there. So people tell us that the answer to this is changing this or changing that or a certain level of education or a better understanding of each other or uh, a lessening of racial tensions or, or, or elevating people's psychological esteems or all of these different things. They tell us that the real problems that humanity faces are, we'll start with social problems. It's an inability to live harmoniously. It's a social thing. It's a social environment. They can't get along with the people around them, and, and so man needs to be socially aware. We need to be socially sensitive. We need to be socially educated. Other people will come along and they'll say, well, the real problem of mankind is psychological. It's not social. It's about man's relationships with one another, but it's more about their relationship with themselves. They can't get in touch with themselves, so they can't get along with others because they can't get along with themselves. Mankind needs to somehow be at peace with themselves if they're going to solve all of the social problems. So they say it's more of a psychological problem, it's not a social problem. And then there are others that would say, man's problem really isn't social and it's not psychological, it's just environmental. Everyone's just responding to the traumas that have happened in their lives. They're traumatized, they're abused, they've been knocked down, they can't quite get along in this complex world because it's not social, it's not psychological, it's just environmental. So we, they seek to change environments. Mankind's misunderstood because they can't achieve their dreams because it's their environment that is messed up. So mankind is out of harmony with people around them, they can't get along. That's not the problem. The problem is they're dead. 
and dead people don't work together. That's the problem. That's the problem. Mankind's problem isn't that it's an environment. All of the things I just said are real things. But they're symptoms of the problem. They themselves are not the problem. They are symptoms of what the ultimate problem is. Man's problem is that he's dead. He's alienated from a life in God. He, he doesn't even have the, that mankind doesn't even have the capacity without the Lord inter, interjecting. He doesn't even have the capacity to understand the realm of God. We're born that way. All that was mentioned are symptoms of the problem. They are not the problem. Ephesians, if you, you'll see when we get into chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, 18 says, they are all darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. A lost person. We, 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 we refer in Christian circles to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus as a lost person. How do we come to that term? How did, how did somebody decide that that was what we were going to call unbelievers? We were going we to say lost people. But a lost person is spiritually dead. Their body lives, but their soul is dead. He can't know God. He can't understand God. They, they, they're, they're insensitive to the moving of God. They can't even comprehend God's ways. I've shared the gospel with people that are in this state. They want nothing to do with it. They're not even hearing anything to do with God. I once was that way myself. There's no relationship with God. There's no desire to follow His will. There's no desire to know His will. There's no desire to know His word. So when we get in Facebook arguments about the Word of God with unbelievers, you might as well just be shoveling dirt back in the hole that you just dug. It's precisely the definition that Scripture gives of people outside of the kingdom of God. They're shut off from God altogether. They're not able to respond. They're spiritually dead to stimulus. John Eady is an early century Scottish preacher, and he said, and I'm not going to... I wanted to say it in a Scottish accent, but I know I'll butcher it, so I'm just going to read it. Men without Christ are death walking. The beauties of holiness do not attract man in his moral insensibility, nor do the miseries of hell deter them. You can talk about heaven and they're not interested. And you can talk about hell and they're not afraid. Hear me. Mankind doesn't need renewal. We don't need repair. We don't need restoration. We need resurrection. We, we celebrated the ultimate resurrection, which we will then be a part of. We celebrated that last week. Man needs resurrection. Mankind needs to be resurrected. That comes in the form of what we would describe as renewal or repair or reconciliation or restoration but what it is is you're actually being raised from the dead you're spiritually dead and you're brought to life so to answer some kids questions zombies are real 
The walking dead are all around us. Sort of. The world is full of the living dead who are literally shut off altogether from God. They, they can't understand His truth. It's foolishness to them. They, they, they have no desire to, to hear anything of what God would, would require of them or what He desires for them. They don't respond to it. You ready to cut, you ready to cut the show off yet? All right, well, we're going to make it just a little bit more worse, okay? We're going to make it a little bit worse. I say that playfully, but man, we have to know how bad sin is. We have to know how bad, how bad sin destroys. There are some concepts here that, that Paul kind of throws at us as he's, he's, he's spiking the ball. He's ready to bring it down. He's ready to jump in and, and, and bring the remedy. But he, he's spiking the ball a little bit. Verse 1, he says, you're dead to your trespasses. Uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We don't become sinners because we sin. We don't become dead because we sin. We're sinners because we were born that way. We were still born spiritually. Everyone in this room was still born spiritually. We sin because we're born dead. The, the word there actually means to shoot for something and miss it. What is God's target? He says, be holy as what? As I am holy. That's God's target, is holiness. We fall short of that. That's why Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we all fall short. Even a moral man in his, in, 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 hitting the best of human targets of goodness falls short of God's standard of perfection and absolute holiness. The word that he uses for trespasses simply means to slip or to fall off the path. That's what that word means. To slip or fall off the path. It was used as if someone were to stray off the road or to get what? Lost. To get off the path that was set before them and they are wandering lost. That is where we come to the Christianese term lost for unbelievers. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to man. but its end is the way of death. So there's some sort of order that lost people actually follow, that, that, that there is something there that they don't believe they're lost. They think they're in their element. There is a way that man goes that they think is right, but ultimately it leads to death. Verse 2 says, in which you once walked. He's, of course, he's talking to a predominantly Christian audience. He says, following the courses of this world. What is that? What is that worldliness? What is the course of this world? There's some sort of system that lost people are following and they don't think they're lost. So what is that system? What is that thing that they're following? What is that way that man follows that they think is right that ultimately leads to death? The word there is cosmos. It's about a world system. It's a, it's a even in, even in this crazy, lost, dark world, there is a system and an order. There's a system of life apart from God that, 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 they, that we have compartmentalized and organized apart from God. It actually means order. 
It's an ordered world system. We look around. We're, we're, we're a very organized people. We think the world's chaotic and in, in disarray. The world's actually really organized. It's amazing how much we've organized mankind. We've created networks and social links and, unfortunately, social media. We've organized ourselves into economic structures, political life. We've even organized our recreational life. We have glampers and we have campers, of which I am a new convert to glamping. There's political structures. There's cosmos. There's order. There is a world order, and people follow it, and they think it's right, and it leads to death. So while man is dead to God, he's alive to this world system. And so man, Proverbs 14, has a way they think is right, and they follow it. But it ultimately leads to death because it doesn't include Christ. So they take cues from their media sources, their books, their peers, their television programs, movies, politicians, educators, you name it. Everything but Scripture. Scripture is the thing they don't want to hear from. Why? Because they're enemies of God. This is a reality we have to face. Now are you guys ready to cut it off? You guys ready to kill the switch? The hero hasn't shown up yet. John MacArthur, John MacArthur said this in the commentary I was reading on this subject. Man, being dead to God, can only respond to his earthly environment. They can only respond to the environment that they have around them. Behind that system of evil is a supernatural power orchestrating all of it, our adversary. And he's called here in Scripture the prince of the power of the air. The air is the realm, the environment in which the lost live. It's the atmosphere of the loss, and Satan is the prince of it. People like to think that they're free and that nothing constrains them, but ultimately, they serve one God or another. Man. All right, kill the switch. Cut it off. We know how bad we are. This doesn't actually mean that Satan himself is personally involved in every single one of your lives. He's got an army full of demons that love to do his work for him. But he is behind the cosmos, the world system, the, the organized structure that detracts people or distracts people from God's way. And so the lost are not free. The religious aren't free either. They have created their own cosmos. They have created their own system in which they think they have sprinkled God into it. All right. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Let's plow through sort of the rest of the text. Don't, don't cut the movie off just yet because the hero is getting ready to show up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says, But God. Now, we could just stop there and have a whole other sermon. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive 
together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He, just, he described the great exchange that took place on the cross. Now, this should excite us. One of the things, the reason I asked, and the, the reason I related this to sort of watching a movie, how many of you have watched a movie, like we talked about, and yeah, I'm ready to cut this thing off, I hate it. Then it gets better, and it ends really great, and you're on this high, right? What do you do? You post on Facebook, I just watched the best movie. You've got to see it. You go to work the next day, and you're like, oh man, you've got to see this movie. This is unbelievable. Today, we're going to hear what we're going to hear about the mercy and the goodness of God and the plan that he had from the foundation of the world to save dead people and bring them to life. And what are you going to do with it? You're going to take it home and leave it in your car? This should excite us. This should make us come out of our cowboy boots if you're wearing any. If you're not, Jesus will save you and you'll start wearing some. This is exactly what we celebrated last week. This is why we got all dressed up and we took pictures with all the kids and we had this great celebration. And that resurrection is the excitement that we have. Dead people have come to life. This is it. Now we're keeping it on. We're watching this thing through to the end. And we always know that when the hero shows up, there's still a struggle. There's still a battle. There's, there's a couple times where you think he loses and, and it's all over again. And you're starting to, you know, and you have that, oh, man. So just a few words pop out here. Just a few words in the, in the continuation of our text just sort of jump off the page. And the number one word is mercy. Verse 4, but God, rich in mercy. That's a description that has never been used to describe me. No one has ever said, but Dan, rich in mercy. No one's ever described that. No one's ever described me that way. Simply defined, mercy is not giving sinners what they deserve. Not giving sinners what they deserve. Mercy is not giving sinners what they deserve. Holding back what should come. In fact, in Psalm 103, there's probably as good a definition of this as anywhere. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Mercy speaks of what God doesn't do, even though we deserve it. We deserve to be punished. We deserve that because we were enemies and alienated from Him. And we were not listening to His will. And we were not caring what His Word had to say. And we were not listening to Him. The next word is grace in verse 5. Towards the end of the verse, by grace... You've been saved or delivered from death. Mercy pities and holds back. That's mercy. 
I hold back what you deserve. Grace pardons you. Grace is your pardon. It releases you from the, from the condemnation of that sin. Grace releases God's forgiveness and mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. So in spite of our trespasses, in spite of our sin, in spite of our worldliness, in spite of our being dominated by the cosmos and the prince and power of the air, despite all of that, God steps in and shows mercy and grace. Why would He do that? I'm glad you asked that question. Because that's our next word. Verse 4. Because of His great love with which He loved us. Now, parents in the room, imagine somebody loving your child more than you do. I wrote my wife a card yesterday and I told her that I love her and the love that I have for her pales in comparison to the love God has for her. I can't even come close to it. I'm not even on the same ladder. This love, with, this great love with which He loved us. We know about loves in our life. We know about all that. But this love that God has for us is in comprehensible we can't even comprehend it why do we talk about it week in and week out why do we preach the gospel week in and week out because there is a cosmos that redirects us all the time it is our battle and we have to be reminded of god's plan for us and his love for us we think that we know what this love is but man it is so hard to describe. I remember sitting up at Woodridge Brewery one night trying to describe God's love for me to, to a complete stranger who had joined us a couple years ago during a, a, a men's gathering. And I couldn't get the words out. I just couldn't fully describe. And his response kept saying, why? Why? Because he loves the unlovable. He's attracted to the unattractive. Certain things appeal to us that he knows will kill us. And he loves us so much. Parent, you, you ever had your kids flip out on you because you told them they couldn't do something that you knew would hurt them? Now sometimes we let them, you know, jump off of a thing and let them learn. Sometimes there's little hurts, but we don't take them up to Crabtree Falls and say, jump off of there. Go ahead. You want to jump? Go ahead. We know what's going to learn them, and we know what's going to kill them. God knows all of that beyond all of that. Paul calls it a great love. Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8, through eight, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows His love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
the immense love of God can be seen in the fact that He would give His Son to die on a cross for those who were against Him. There's not a parent in this room that would do that. I wouldn't. The immense love God has. Mm. There's no greater love that a man has than that he would lay down his life for his friend. The greatest love of all. But even in that, I'd lay down my life for a friend. But I would have a hard time laying it down for an enemy. Our next word and really the spotlight of today's text is raised. Mercy, grace, love. All of those things, mercy, grace, and love, they all lead to something. And what do they lead to? They lead to resurrection. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he who loved us, God who is rich in mercy and grace, he made us alive. He made us alive. That's the exciting thing. That's where the excitement comes. That's where all the battles are worth it. That's where all the ups and the downs. He raised us up. Note it's in the past tense. It's already done. Jesus said it is finished. It's already done. It's in the past tense to God. We're already raised up. We're waiting to catch up, but we're already raised up. Now what's he talking about? Resurrection. He's raising us so that we're no longer the zombies walking around as the living dead, unable to understand the spiritual realm of God and understanding His Word. He's now brought us to life so that the words of truth are now, oh, they're like cold water on a hot day. They weren't before. 16-year-old Dan McGann didn't care what the Bible said. Now I run to it every time. It's the desire. He gave us the ability to desire His Word. He brought us to life into that spiritual realm and showed us and shined the light on the cosmos and said, that is the man's order. That's man's order. That's not the way. That leads to death. This is life, and I gave it to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to get it. But I love you. God looks at those spiritually dead, and He brings them to life. He resurrects them. Now we're getting to the core. John 11, verses 25-27 through 27 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. I believe. The amazing truth of the gospel is that sinners were dead and they're brought back to life. 
God spares us from His wrath by offering Himself as the sacrifice. We just sang about it in the song right before the sermon. Romans 6, verses 3-5 through says, We have been buried with Him into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so we too, in newness of life. So He, when He went into the grave spiritually, it was for us, when He went into the grave and rose again, this great miracle, it's what sets the Christian faith apart. A living God and the living Dead. This is us. Sinners. Completely and totally hopeless. But God. So that should excite us. This should be the thing that we run out and tell people. This should be the thing that dominates our conversation. All of a sudden, we knew God. All of a sudden, we began to understand who He was. All of a sudden, the things of the cosmos started to be less attractive and the things of God started to be more attractive. This is a change that happened because dead people came to life. Warren Wearsby said in his commentary, the whole world of the spiritual reality dawned on us for the first time as believers. We began to love what was pure and holy and just and good. The things that we actually despised before. The things that we rolled our eyes at. For the first time, we set our affection on things above and not the things of the earth. For the first time, we began to battle the flesh and not give in to it. For the first time, we began to battle the influence of the world and seek a heavenly agenda. That's the difference between being lost and being found. Verses 8 and 9. Here's the sum of it all. This is the answer. How does it happen? We've been delivered by grace through faith. And here's the thing. Here's the divider. That faith is given to you by God. Even the faith that you had to believe in Him was given by Him to you so you could believe in Him. You didn't even have the ability to have the faith to believe in Him. God had to give you that too. Because there's no room for self-effort here. And, he, and, and Paul wraps that up. There's no place for self-congratulation. There's no place for self-enlightenment. None of that works. Faith is a God-given conviction that the promise of a resurrected, a resurrected life, forgiveness of sins, and eternity with Christ is true. That's what faith is. Faith is the God-given conviction that the promise of a resurrected life, the forgiveness of sins, and the eternality that we have with Christ in heaven is true. And that conviction is a gift from God. There's zero wiggle room for you to have any credit. But the facts of the Gospel are true. We have a resurrected Savior. Complete forgiveness of sin. 
and the promise of eternity with Him in His presence as it was designed. So, the story ends well. Now Facebook should blow up. Now you should. Now the water cooler should be dominated with this amazing story. I just heard. You've got to watch this movie. This is the exciting thing. This is what we come together to celebrate and to learn and to share. What we do is we go out and we share it with a zombie and they act like a zombie and we quit sharing it. Just keep sharing it because you're not the one waking them up anyway. Just keep sharing it because that's what he asked you to do. And he will awaken the dead to life. It is their gift. Paul says right there at the end, he says there's no wiggle room. Verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand. It's all part of the plan. We talked about that big plan last week. That we should walk in them. This is the order that God has for you. Not the cosmos, but God's way. Cosmos, man created. God's way, God created. We should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to reinvigorate and get excited and be reminded personally, myself, Lord. You know even, even every individual this week that rode the emotional roller coaster of life. How good was it to have an anchor that we could go to, that we could pull on, that when the cosmos pulls on us, we are tethered tight to You. Thank You for bringing us to life. And I pray that if there is someone here today that has still been darkened to this truth, that You would awaken them with the gift of faith today. That they would believe on You and that they would see You for who You are. Merciful, graceful, loving, and powerful to resurrect the dead to life. We love You and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.